0: Radio Health Journal. I'm Reed Pence. This week, 90% of the drugs we take are generics, and the vast majority of them come from overseas. How can the FDA make sure they're safe?
1: A number of the sources I've interviewed say those inspections are essentially staged and don't really reflect the quality, the true quality, of the plants overseas.
0: American drug oversight in foreign countries, when Radio Health Journal returns.
1: I'm Nancy Benson, host of Radio Health Journal. If you enjoy Radio Health Journal, you'll also like our sister show. Here's a preview of what they're covering on Viewpoints this week.
2: This week on Viewpoints.
3: Education matters. Sort of this gift of education is one of the greatest gifts you can give someone to change their situation.
2: John Urschel rose to the top of two completely different fields. Coming up on Viewpoints, why he left pro football to pursue
3: his Ph.D. in mathematics at MIT. Then... They kill something like 2 million rats, which is five times the city's human population.
1: The history behind the first U.S. case of the plague. I'm Marty Peterson. And
2: I'm Gary Price. These stories in-depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints.
1: Listen to Viewpoints on your favorite radio station, iTunes and Stitcher.
0: Slightly more than half of all Americans take at least one prescription drug. Those who do take an average of four different drugs each. Most of those are generics. In fact, generics make up 90% of all the drugs prescribed in the United States. But do you know what's in them? Most of us know only that generics are supposed to be pretty much the same as the name brand. But are they?
1: Well, they're supposed to be. So they're not a carbon copy, but they're supposed to be a version. And the bioequivalence, which is basically the absorption into the blood of the drug, is supposed to fall within a range that is approximate to the brand name.
0: That's Catherine Eban, Fortune magazine contributor and author of Bottle of Lies, the inside story of the generic drug boom. And she says that we have to be more careful about generics than the standards would make us think. Time and again, drugs have been recalled for containing less of what they're supposed to or more of what they're not.
1: There have been glass particulates in drugs. There has been drugs that are tainted with carcinogens, some of which have been used in the production of liquid rocket fuel. There have been cases of metallic fragments. There are cases of drugs that are not bioequivalent. They don't dissolve the same in the body. I'm sure there's a lot of listeners who have been taking blood pressure medication that has been subject to recall because it had carcinogens in it. That's an instance in which all of these generic drug manufacturers bought this active ingredient that was being made in India and China, did not test it properly, and carcinogenic materials were in the final drug, and millions of Americans took those drugs, and now they've been recalled from the market but it took years to figure that out.
0: The problem, Evan says, is globalization. In 1984, the U.S. overhauled the rules on generics, giving the first company to get a generic okayed protection from any others for several years. At the same time, the law approved the import of generic drugs manufactured overseas. It turned American manufacturers into foreign ones.
1: We used to be a huge manufacturing hub, we made antibiotics for the entire world. First, antibiotics started shifting to China. The labor costs were lower. The environmental regulations were basically non-existent, and there's a lot of waste product that is created in pharmaceutical manufacturing. By 2005, the FDA had more plants to inspect overseas than it did domestically. And basically, Western drug companies started realizing they could vastly decrease costs and increase profits by shifting overseas, and foreign manufacturers started moving into our marketplace and getting FDA approvals.
0: Today, the vast majority of generics are made overseas. More than a half come from India and China, and Eban says most of the time it's not a trusted U.S. pharma company making a generic version of its name-brand drug.
1: That happens, but that is really the minority. Really what's going on is that there's companies you've never heard of that are often operating in very remote parts of India and China that are in some instances employing illiterate farmers to come into the manufacturing plants and suddenly be operating in what's supposed to be a highly regulated sterile environment. These are plants where FDA investigators have found some of the bathrooms don't even have drainage piping. Think about that. There's no sinks to wash hands, and these are plants where the sterility requirements are so strict that you're not even supposed to move quickly because it can disrupt airflow. So this highly regulated manufacturing that our lives depend on has been moved 7,000 miles away from the oversight of the FDA.
0: And that makes a difference, though the FDA says it doesn't. They claim the same standards and inspections apply for foreign manufacturers as for domestic ones. But Eben says the truth
1: is a different story. To inspect a drug plant in the U.S., the FDA just shows up whenever they want. They don't announce it in advance, and they stay as long as they are needed. Overseas, the FDA will actually announce its arrival weeks and sometimes months in advance. And that has given these overseas plants the opportunity to fabricate manufacturing and quality data, to shred documents, to rid plants of insects and birds and lizards in order to put its best foot forward for the FDA. So a number of the sources I've interviewed say those inspections are essentially staged and don't really reflect the quality, the true quality of the plants overseas.
0: Eban says she even has evidence that fake pharmaceutical plants have been set up overseas, designed expressly to dupe drug inspectors.
1: That happens in China where actually plants will pool resources and have one show plant that they'll direct investigators to and because most FDA investigators can't even read the street addresses, they don't know that they're inspecting the same plant over and over again.
0: Eban says part of the problem is that the FDA is simply overmatched watching over manufacturing plants all over the world. In some parts of the globe, such as Italy and the U.K., the FDA relies entirely on those countries' inspectors and trusts that they do a good job. But elsewhere, the FDA does its own work because local inspectors may not be much help.
1: In fact, they do have regulators, but one of the things I uncovered in my reporting is that the Indian regulators really are functioning more as an arm of industry. I mean, they are, in some instances, seeing their jobs as protecting the industry as opposed to protecting the patients.
0: So just how often does all this occur? Enough to be frightening. In her book, Eban follows an FDA inspector named Peter Baker, who found a way around all the tricks.
1: Instead of asking them for documents about their manufacturing, he looked in their computer systems And what he discovered was widespread tampering with quality data. So this is critical data that shows whether the drugs pass specifications or not. And he found through tracing the metadata that there was widespread fabrication. Over the course of five years, of the 86 plants that he went into in India and China, he found data fraud in 67 of them. It's about four-fifths of the plants.
0: But why do generic makers feel they have to cheat? Apparently, there's comparatively little to lose. Eban says if they happen to get caught, it can take years for enforcement to stick. And she says the penalties don't match the potential reward.
1: What the companies want to do, as I've discovered, is they want to try to game the system, put their thumb on the scale, and maximize the chances that their drug is going to get approval, it's going to get approval quickly and that they can be possibly first to market. And if they're first to market, they get additional profits and more market share. So in order to do that, they have in a number of cases, fabricated data, they're literally getting approval for drugs they don't yet know how to make.
0: However, with all the difficulties in inspecting foreign manufacturing plants, the easier and more sure safeguard might be to inspect the drugs themselves once they reach our shores. Except, Eban says, that doesn't really happen.
1: There is really no systematic testing of the actual drugs. One of the reasons for that is it's very hard to... Test the quality of millions of pills, right? How do you do that? And if you test one pill, how do you know that that's representative of the million pills? And that's why data is so important to manufacturing quality because the idea is that the data serves as a kind of step by step, minute by minute blueprint of the manufacturing process. Regulators are looking at the process of the manufacturing rather than just The final outcome. Now that said, we do need systematic testing as yet another sort of layer of protection around our drug supply, but that's not really happening right now.
0: Despite all this, Eban says don't throw your hands up in despair. It doesn't mean the whole generic industry is untrustworthy. Or does it?
1: It doesn't necessarily mean that, and obviously generics are critical to our drug supply, and they're critical to our health. But the fact is that when Americans go to a drugstore and get a prescription and they're getting switched from one generic company to another or from a brand to a generic, they really are getting switched through very different levels of quality from manufacturer to manufacturer. Some are functioning perfectly and within the rules and some really are not. And data fabrication is an incredibly widespread phenomenon in this industry.
0: But while generics make up the vast majority of drugs we take, Eban says there's actually even more at stake than that. Brand name drugs exist in the manufacturing shadows as well.
1: Eighty percent of all the active ingredient in all our drugs are coming from overseas as one drug importer said to me, without these overseas ingredients, not a single drug could be made. What it boils down to is that patients are really at the mercy of and dependent on the companies that are making the final drug formulations. You're dependent on Rembaxi or Merck or Johnson & Johnson or any drug manufacturer to vet the materials that they're getting to scrutinize and test the active ingredients, and they're supposed to, to make sure that the active ingredient is not contaminated.
0: However, many of us can't take a named brand. If there's a generic available, insurers may not let us ask for it. It all means that safety, to some extent, is up to us. We have to pay attention to who's making the generics we get at the pharmacy, especially if we're switched from one manufacturer to another. That's about all the information we have to go by.
1: Right now, there are no regulations requiring country of origin labeling. So if you, on your dispensing label, you'll see the manufacturer, but you won't know where the drug was made. But what I'm recommending to patients for the moment, until laws can be changed, is let's say you take a maintenance medication, and it's working, which is great then you've got to be aware of who that manufacturer is and try to make sure you don't get switched to a different manufacturer. But also, if you're thinking that you're having problems, you're having side effects, the drug isn't working properly, and I think a lot of people have experienced that, then what I would recommend, do a Google search. Put the name of the manufacturer in, FDA, and the words warning letter, and see what kind of sanctions the company has gotten.
0: Eban says there have been some congressional rumblings for change. It's a national security issue if it's impossible to get an antibiotic made in the U.S. But until then, we're on our own more than we know. Eban says you can find guidance for patients on her website, KatherineEban.com. You'll find a link on our website, RadioHealthJournal.net. You'll also find archives of our programs there, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. I'm Reed Pence.
3: Family members are typically the first to notice memory issues or cognitive problems in a loved one, but they're often hesitant to say something. A new survey released by the Alzheimer's Association, however, reveals that nearly 9 in 10 Americans would want others to tell them if they themselves were showing signs of memory loss, thinking problems, or other symptoms of cognitive decline. This month during Alzheimer's and Brain Awareness Month, the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council are launching a new campaign urging people to notice the signs and start a conversation. Ruth Drew is Director of Information and Support Services for the Alzheimer's Association.
1: Alzheimer's disease is challenging, but talking about it doesn't have to be. We say follow the ABCs, assess changes, begin a conversation, and contact the Alzheimer's Association for help.
3: For information on the campaign and resources to begin this important conversation, visit alz.org ourstories our stories. Paid Not Attorney Spokesperson Fierce Nakawadi with Principal Office in Dallas, Texas attention landscapers and anyone working in the landscape industry. This is an important alert for users of the Weed Killer Roundup that have been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. A California jury recently awarded $289 million to a landscaper who claimed Roundup gave him cancer. Roundup is the most widely used herbicide in the United States with billions of pounds applied each year. Farm workers and landscapers are at the highest risk of injury from exposure. Time is limited to file a claim. If you work with Roundup Weed Killer and were diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, don't wait. Call the Roundup up legal helpline now the number to dial is 800-208-0501 that number again is 800-208-0501 you could be entitled to significant compensation if you've been exposed to roundup and have been diagnosed with non-hodgkin's lymphoma don't wait call the roundup legal helpline right now 800-208-0501 that's 800-208-0501 again 800-208-0501 call now what are you going to
2: do with your old car you can try selling it, you could junk it, or you can donate it to Heritage for the Blind. Your car will be towed away for free and your donation is tax deductible. Just call 1-800-835-1478. Heritage for the Blind accepts cars, vans, trucks, and boats. It doesn't matter if your vehicle runs or not. It will be towed away for free and you'll be supporting those that need help. Heritage for the Blind is a nonprofit organization that helps the visually impaired live fuller lives. Call right now to donate your car, and as a special thank you, you'll receive a free three-day vacation voucher to over 50 locations. Call Heritage for the Blind right now. Call 1-800-835-1478. Donating is easy, and your vehicle is towed away for free. Plus, you'll get a free vacation voucher for donating. Call now, 1-800-835-1478. That's 1-800-835-1478.
0: Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of Media Tracks Communications. If you enjoyed this broadcast, please support our show by subscribing, sharing it with a friend, and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and RadioHealthJournal.net. Also, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Radio Health Journal.